<laughs> Hello, Karen. How can I possibly introduce Chip Zarsky? Briefly. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, obviously everyone's here because Chip's amazing. Uh, and he's had the most interesting career, I think. And, like, he's one of these people who has risen to an incredible prominence in the medium in an entirely random and interesting way. And it's undeserved. No, no, it's like <laughs> that kind of. If you literally the quote, I was I was doing a little bit of research this afternoon. Ooh, and it's a like, real professional here. Yeah. I read at least a interview. Wow, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on Wikipedia page. Um, no, no, it's like the quote you ended your comics alliance interview. I'm used to being this weird guy right outside comics. And I'll do one weird thing once in a while. And people go ho 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 ho. That's good. But can you go back to right where you came from? Yeah, and that trying was, to keep me down. Yeah, but that was like in 2013, and yeah. that, of course this is four years later. And now you are this weird creature bestriding the mainstream and the yeah, demi-mainstream. Yeah. And like, how do you like look at yourself right now? How, how is Chip Starsky in 2017? I'm the man now. That's the problem. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing I'm wrestling with. Yeah, it's weird because I don't, uh, I don't feel like I belong in something like Marvel Comics. And if I am in there, like the joke should always be that I don't belong there. But the more I do for them, the more and the older I get, I feel like I am kind of like the man now, which is which is a weird feeling. I don't know if you've got that. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. You get the moment. Oh no, I'm in shit. I mean, the problem with the creators, I think, is they go. They used to like sleeping on floors for so long. Yeah. If they eventually get to a point where they're not sleeping on floors, they don't quite realize they're no longer sleeping on floors. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're that, oh my god, we're in power. And then there's, there's all these other people sleeping on the floor, and you walk over them to get to the washroom yes. every night. And that's, that's wildly uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a strange thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to have to come to accept the fact that I'm not, like, the wacky outsider anymore. Like, I want to be, but, uh, but I actually can't. And, like, for people to see me as such, it's just it's kind of impossible right now. There was a thing I did, um, uh, C2E2, the show in Chicago, they have like an open application for um, for panels if you want to have a panel. I thought it'd be really funny last year if uh, if I applied to have a panel called "Why I Should Write Batman" by Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> and you know, I worked out what the panel would be like. I'd basically I'd have the Batman editor Mark Doyle at the time <laughs> sit on stage, and I would go through a slideshow of all my <laughs> please. Uh, I go through all of my bad Batman ideas and he would just like shake his head no at each one of them <laughs> and it, I submitted it and they approved it and it was almost time to do it but I also knew that they'd be announcing me on Spider-Man very shortly and I'm like oh wait now I look like an asshole <laughs> <laughs> like I'm the guy who's writing Spider-Man who also wants to write Batman but before it was like the guy who does Howard the Duck wanting to write Batman is crazy but now the guy writing Spider-Man wants to write Batman that's actually plausible and so all of a sudden the joke doesn't work anymore. So that's what I'm trying to figure out now is like, what joke works for me? <laughs> like, I, I, I honestly don't know. Like when I was at the newspaper years ago, you know, the joke was kind of my, my stupid interactions with the publisher and editor-in-chief as like an illustrator humorist. Like, you know, basically I was like Peter Parker dealing with J. Jonah Jameson every day. Um, and, you know, when I used to watch the cartoon and read the comic, you know, I was always like, why is this freelance photographer always fighting with like the publisher of the paper it makes no <laughs> sense but then I found myself in that position I'm like oh no this is really funny like that, that weird la that power dynamic just uh, played out in the paper itself um, 
so yeah, so now I'm in a position like, I don't know, is my thing now like constantly making fun of Axel Alonso? Probably not. <laughs> briefly, you could take that role. <laughs> yeah, briefly I could take that role. So yeah, so it's, it's hard. I don't know how to view myself anymore, so I'm kind of just letting others view me how they want to view me, if that makes sense. That sounds like emotional growth. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I suppose uh, there's a couple of segues there. I immediately mm. think about court falls. In that kind of, you know, there, there is a position of privilege in a court of, to be to play that role and just yeah. make, uh, to, to make jokes of power in that kind of close-up way. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I've, I've got I've got just too much power to be that. I'm not That's suggesting you wear motley, but yeah. uh, no, fair, fair. Yeah. Yeah. The second one's like, I suppose the chip's the Oscar of it all, really. Because yeah. of course, you know, you're somebody who's expressly written in character, and Chip was created as a character. Yeah. I mean, who who do you see yourself when you write a Marvel comic? I mean, it's into Chip Zdarsky's name, but is it Chip Zdarsky still? Oh my god. Um, <coughs> so it's going to be existential. Yeah, so, so I mean, for people that don't know, like, um, so my real name's Steve Murray, and when I started doing uh, comics, I did them as Chip Zdarsky, just to keep it separate from the newspaper. But I, I went one step further, and because it was for a student newspaper, I interviewed myself as Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> and it was Steve Murray talking to Chip Zdarsky about his, like, dumb comic strip, Prison Bunnies. And, um, and during the course of the interview, I kind of fleshed out this character. Like, he was like a sad guy who lived in his mother's basement and painted, uh, you, you'd like this, Dungeons and Dragons figurines. I don't know I'm going to start. What's wrong with that description? Carry <laughs> on. Um, and so I created this character on, on the page. And then when I started to actually self-publish the comics, I would go to shows as Chip Zdarsky, and there was like an outfit to go with it. I wore a cowboy shirt and a cowboy hat and fake glasses, and I would get drunk on the uh, the convention floor. Like, I'm just like constantly drinking on my table, pulling my shirt open. <laughs> I became a character, and it was kind of, it was around the time of my divorce, and, um, <laughs> and my, my therapist loves that. She's like, so you got divorced and created a whole new character for yourself? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, like, so that was such a separate thing. And then as time went on, and I started doing more work for the newspaper, and I became more known as Steve Murray than Chip Zdarsky, because um, it was a national paper in Canada, and I started just kind of doing, like, maps and charts for them. I ended up being, like, their humorist and cartoonist and journalist kind of out in the field. Um, so the Chip thing was very, very secondary. And then the Chip thing took over to the sex criminals, and yeah, there was a lot of conflict as to... You know, am I writing as Steve or Chip now? Like, because they, they both kind of have become very similar. Um, the weird thing is, because the Chip Zarsky stuff was very kind of mature and for adults, but now I'm writing Spider-Man. I'm gearing it towards 10 or 11, and that's kind of the baseline. So, uh, so I'm kind of writing it as Steve Murray in a weird way. Drawing sex criminals as Chip Zdarsky, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm writing Spider-Man, you know, um, as Steve, and that's that's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. It's interesting because, of course, the fact you have played with character means that you get this sort of question. You don't get Jock being asked. You know? No, 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 no. Or Frank Quitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just pseudonyms are pseudonyms, but like a character is a whole other thing. Mm. And uh, I've got like five different names <laughs> and identities. Like, I'm trying to think. So there's like, there's, there's Steve Murray and there's Chip Zdarsky, which is like the basic ones. When I was at the newspaper, I created a financial advisor named Todd Diamond. <laughs> who was like a semi-homeless man who would give financial advice in video form. Um, my DJ name is MC Champagne. <laughs> and um, there was a weird conflict years ago. I started to do like uh, kids comics for a publisher. And they sent me the contract and it said, you know, it, by signing this, uh, you agree that you have never done anything of an adult pornographic nature. I'm like... <laughs> 
man, like in the last month I have. <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, I've, I've got the two names and it's fine. And they Google both names. And they're like, oh, there's a connection. We can't do that. So Steve Maxwell was born. <laughs> I think there's probably a few others out there. Yeah, I, was, uh, I, used to, I used to write in a lot of pseudonyms. That's all really? my writing is like up until I started working for PC Gamer. Uh, all of the pseudonyms and at the moment I literally I'm going to stop writing under a pseudonym so I, and when I first wrote Kieran Gillen as a byline yeah. it was weird that, so I, that, weird. That, yeah, yeah. that felt like a pseudonym because there was so many other stuff I'd done before Yeah. and there's a couple I did since but not for a while yeah the, 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 the funny thing is like with Chip Zdarsky I wasn't online as Steve Murray until the newspaper forced me to they're like, oh, you know, newspapers, we need to go online now. I'm like, no, don't do it. <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, you have to actually have your contact info and your real name on there. I'm like, oh, man, that's, that was just weird to me. Cause, mm. Yeah, I like the fact that the internet only knew me as Chip Zdarsky and I could just keep it at that. Um, the, the, the weird thing that also happened with the pseudonym is the fact that it kind of helps your ego a bit. Like, because it's not you. Mm. It's somebody else. So, like, the good things and the bad things are actually happening in a weird way to somebody else. Like, if you win an award under a pseudonym, it's like, oh, the pseudonym won an award. <laughs> Good for you, pseudonym. <laughs> which is, which I think keeps me weirdly humble. Yeah. Do you mind if, like, okay, do you mind, how deep do you mind I go here? Yeah, go. What's your first memory? My first memory. <laughs> <laughs> As Chip or Steve? <laughs> it's a I mean, it's like, I'm trying to like, like, literally, let's go deep and I want to go, so go roughly for your career. Because you've had that, you're supposed to make, you know, there's people who say, oh, I've, I've always been an artist, I've sat, I've been an artist, <coughs> I've done comics, and now I'm a comic artist. Yeah. You haven't done that. You've, you've like, you've like got a pinball inside your head. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I feel like how you, how those forces were put in motion, I think is interesting, worth tracking. Um, my first kind of like, I don't have like early childhood childhood memories. I have my, my first memory is around age five. Mm. Um, and it actually explains a lot about me. Um, I was, uh, I lived in kind of a very rural area in Alberta, Canada. And um, I started charging neighborhood girls to see and touch my penis. Like that was like, that's straight up like my first real kind of memory. I was, I was five, I was five. <laughs> And they were all older too, which is weird too. They were like six, seven. I think the oldest was eight. Mm. And uh, I just I recognized that I had this thing they didn't have. And <laughs> if they wanted to see it, it was a nickel. If they wanted to touch it, it was ten cents. If they wanted to lie down with me nude, it was twenty-five cents. And I was doing quite well until my parents found out, <laughs> <laughs> or rather, their parents and then my parents. And uh, yeah, all my first memories are basically about my dad trying to explain sex to me at the age of five. Um, using uh, the classic uh, book, The Joy of Sex, which is not a book you're supposed to use to explain to a child uh, about sex, because it's all like 1970s uh, graphite yeah. renderings of uh, couples Why hippies doing it? sweet, <laughs> sweet love. Um, yeah, so like early on, I was just kind of fascinated by sex, and you know, I was stealing my dad's magazines, uh, but I was, I was too young to realize you had to put them back. And so like, <laughs> I always picture like one day my dad was like, oh, huh, time for a bit of a wank. And he just opened up the drawer and there's nothing in there. He's like, oh, that's weird. There's like a stack like that under my bed. I'm like, what is this? Um, so yeah, my, my first memories are all weirdly sexual. Uh, maybe yeah. not weirdly at all. Or maybe not weirdly at all. Yeah, yeah. But well, when did you start like, um, obviously everyone, most people draw as kids or like yeah. writers. They kind of do it together. Because I always remember like, as a, I, I think in my very earliest comics, 
Yeah, they're kind of that you know that preteen you know kid comics I've done. Yeah. What about you? I mean, did you draw? draw were you, where was your interest then? Um, when I was super young, like around five six, my mom would draw with me. Like we would kind of sit down, and uh, it was a lot of Sesame Street characters, mm. things like that. And uh, and then I saw Empire Strikes Back, and in I guess it would probably be kindergarten, grade one. Um, my first comic was basically a retelling of Empire Strikes Back. And those, I don't know if you had the same kind of notebooks here where it was like blank at the top and ruled mm. at the bottom. Almost all the kids' schools with, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, you know, the top would be the panels and I'd write all the words below. And uh, my teacher loved it so much. He was like, oh, we're going to uh, we're gonna put this on display. I'm like, what? And they put it on display. And it was like, at that moment when I was getting attention, I was just like, this is who I'm going to be. Like, I like this attention. So whenever, like, during my school years, uh, there's an opportunity to do artwork um, in exchange for recognition, I would do it 100%. <laughs> like, I would do all the murals and, uh, and uh, tons of comics featuring friends. And even when in high school, when I was, like, I was the smallest kid in high school and so always threatened with being beaten up. But the football team realized uh, I could draw, so I would do all the tattoos of our... Uh, at the time, very racist mascot on their arm uh, before they go into the big games, and so I avoided getting beat up. So there's there's a, there's a direct link between like creating art for people and 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 getting this thing back, whether it be recognition or not getting beaten up. Like, it sounds like you 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 know prepared for a work for hire career there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, totally. Like, yeah, how can I avoid yeah. violence? Yeah. Um, so that, that's so much to unpack there. But is that, yeah, what about yeah. the storytelling side? I mean, you said you drew comics of your friends. <coughs> were they cartoons of your friends or stories featuring your friends? Uh, they must be cartoons of my friends. I had a, I, I would do comics, and this is like totally the saddest thing ever, really, when I start to unpack it. Um, I do comics about my imaginary friend named Andy, who was me, but a lot cooler. <laughs> <laughs> like, very, very cool. And, and there were, like, uh, duplicates of all all of my friends and all the girls that I liked uh, in these comics and Andy you know was very successful with the ladies and had a lot of friends and the real <laughs> the real me did not so a lot of comics is about like my ideal life uh, which is just really really sad <coughs> really sad <laughs> right, self insert fanfic is a, a long and noble if it's good enough for Dante it's good enough for you yeah yeah sure, um, sure. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah and then you know beyond that I would do like I would do like kind of like funny animal cartoons I had like the power pets featuring electro cat like uh, all just dumb stuff and like any comic artist is I'd get like two pages in and get bored and just do a bunch of faces and then oh what's the next thing I can do um, yeah yeah that's pretty much it and I never thought I'd go into comics um, because when I finally got to illustration school, they beat it out of you. Mm. They're just like, you know, if you come in here with a comics portfolio or you want to do comics, forget it. You know, we're much higher minded. You know, we want to have uh, illustrations in magazines and newspapers. Um, they've changed their tune since. Like now, uh, myself and Jeff Lemire both graduated from that school, and now they're just like, oh, could you come give a talk? I'm like, oh, well, you come crawling back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember what I was going to say. I'm so sick. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no. Uh, you were talking... Oh, I've lost you both now as well. <laughs> we're <laughs> professionals. We're, we're, uh, we're both... We're both. You were talking well. about, like, you went from the sadness of your stories to, like, starting to draw, as in, the, what the sort of stories you did early on. I was, I was about to yeah. ask you a question. Well, I was, was going to leave... Um, I was going to leave comics behind, and then when I graduated from illustration school, I had this, like, this beautiful period of... Um, 
basically two or three months in which I didn't have to work. Mm -hmm. I'd saved up enough money. Um, I was awaiting a, uh, I was awaiting a court date for an unrelated uh, gun charge. We don't need to go into that now. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I had these 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 few months where I couldn't leave the country. I couldn't do anything. And so I was like, I'm going to get into comics. This is going to be it. I'm going to create these beautiful pages and. Uh, so I went to the, the magazine shop and I bought a bunch of weightlifting magazines, not for me to lift weights, but <laughs> to, to draw superheroes properly. I didn't realize it at the time, but like those kind of weightlifting magazines were like soft gay porn. Like, because at the back, all of a sudden the ads were for like bachelor party videos in which like it was all muscle men like with whipped cream having a good time. I'm like, that's a fun bachelor party. We just like whipped cream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I'd study these and I'd work really hard and over three months I produced four comic pages. Um, two were really bad flash pages and two very much ripping off Sean Phillips Hellblazer pages, <laughs> um, which we'll never see in the light of day. And I realized at that point, well, I can't do comics. Like, this is crazy. It took me three months to do four of these and I got to go to court for that gun charge. Forget it. <laughs> but the... Um were you like a comic lifer? Like, were you reading comics this whole time, or did you go out dropping your teenage years? No. Or no, I think I think my kind of like oh, you so good. Um, my kind of comic reading career is very similar to a lot of uh, people my age, where like I read a lot of Marvel stuff as a kid, some DC stuff, and then when I was a teenager, Vertigo kind of got started. And I was like deep into Vertigo. Um, I was like I was a small town Canadian hockey goth. Which basically meant like I had the black trench coat and the onk necklace, but I had like hockey hair, which is like the mullet, flowing mullet at the back. Very beautiful, very beautiful young creature. So I was deep into Vertigo stuff, and then, um, and then I went off to college, and I couldn't afford anything. That was yeah. it. And so all of my college years, I didn't buy anything anymore. Uh, so once I got out of college, um, it, I kind of slowly got back into it. I was starting to buy like Drawn and Quarterly and Fantagraphic stuff, and. Uh, um, I became what, what I call like comic fantasy football fan, hmm. where I knew everything that was happening in comics. This is around Warren Ellis forum days, where yeah. like um, I knew what all the companies were doing, I knew all the major players, but I never watched the games. Like I had, I had my fantasy football team, but uh, but I would just get the scores later. Like I wouldn't actually read the stories because yeah. I couldn't afford them, and I kind of like got past them. Um, so I yeah, always, I always think someone should actually do that for like uh, comic creators. Actually, do the fantasy football league. Yeah. Like, you just use those public sales figures, and you know, like, uh, and just like, and can you imagine how bad all creators would be? They would oh be so God. pissed off about like being on a bad book. It's I don't, like, I don't, I don't look at those numbers. Like, I, I looked at those numbers, um, kind of when Sex Rooms was coming out, just to make sure we weren't dying. Um, and then, like, sometimes you get a notification, like when Howard the Duck came out. Um, the issue one did really well, so like a lot of people would tell me, "Oh, you got to see the numbers." So I'd look at the numbers, like, "Okay, that's good. I don't need to look at them mm -hmm. anymore." Um, I think most creators, you look at the numbers, right? Not no? that much. Not that less much? than I, less than I, uh, less than I used, especially on the Marvel stuff. Yeah. It's like kind of like I'll look at the first issue, I'll look at the second issue, yeah, and then it's kind of like stop looking. Because yeah. You know how it goes from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, doesn't, it doesn't get better. I don't even look like at, with image. Like I don't even look at the numbers coming in from <clears throat> image because I'm like, Matt and I have already decided how long we're going with Sex Criminals. And at this point, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you still got to, you know, feed the children and stuff like that. But, um, but ultimately, because it's all about trades and kind of longevity of a thing, um, 
we, we don't concern ourselves too much with the numbers on single issues anymore. We do probably more than that. I mean, Jamie does especially, because uh, yeah. it's his only book, so... But uh, like, yeah, 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 there is that, yeah. But there is the same kind of figures, and you've done the math, and if, you know, if drop-off continues and trades continue selling, we're fine. You yeah. know, that kind of... And, you know, we're more than fine. It's both very successful books. Yeah, 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 we're very successful. Yeah, yeah we're very, very you know, successful. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so Teenage, we talk about comics. So, like, which, yeah. which Virgo books? Uh, Sandman and Hellblazer were the big ones. Golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like with 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 Hellblazer, that that would cause me to kind of go back to the Delano, like mm-hmm. the first stuff, um, and, and kind of you know work your way back. And uh, but Sandman was the big one. I remember like in my hometown, um, uh, the the comic shop owner was just like, I think he just saw my my hockey hair and my goth trench coat. <laughs> he was like, you know what you would like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he gave me, I think it was issue, like, it was uh, A Dream of You, I remember that, and I remember he accidentally gave me two copies, um, I don't know why, you know, that was such a big thing, like, I'm like, oh, I've got two copies now, I can, like, destroy one and keep one pristine, um, but yeah, I got hooked and went back, and um, that was one of those things where, like, like month to month, that was the one I was waiting for every month, like, that wait was unbearable for me. That's like, because it, it was big delays at the end, weren't they? Big well? delays at the end, and then, like, you know, it was kind of dragged out a bit, too. Mm. I don't know, you were probably into it at the I, time, I wasn't, I, I stopped reading comics as a teenager, okay. so I was, I have, a, I have a huge gap, so I came to most things when they were finished, okay. so all, apart Lucky. from, like, Invisibles and Preacher were still kind of finishing off, yeah, but yeah. I kind of motored through and through. Yeah, yeah, so Sandman was, like, one of those ones where, like, because like, you knew he was going to die and like every issue would come out like he's not dead yet and every issue he's not dead <laughs> yeah. yet and, like, and then you're like oh he's dead five more issues oh my god and like, <laughs> every month like it was like a treat every month was like a treat getting a new one of those but uh, that was that was the time where I was like really focused on that weight yeah yeah. I found myself um, actually weirdly and wicked at least one reason we're only doing like 50 issues is yeah. that kind of last 20 issues of the Vertigo series you could probably cut so yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of reverse engineering Vertigo books what annoyed us yeah yeah um, but the um, also I found myself googling well, a few years ago the early uh, dot comics like oh yeah yeah and they found like 1987 <coughs> era Watchmen discussion okay. of people discussing the watch- last issue of Watchmen the week yeah. it came out yeah. and people are oh, I don't care it's been so long it's been like almost oh, a year yeah, since yeah. the last issue. And it's like, oh, no, no one's going to care. No one cares anymore, that kind of line. And it's like, yeah. A, I recognise this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but B, that kind of, oh no, the history is long. Yeah, it, it really isn't. Like, it's one of those things, like, whenever, whenever we say it to each other regarding late issues, it always sounds egotistical, which is no one remembers that Watchmen was late. Mm. And not that necessarily we're producing Watchmen. But you'd be sued if you were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talk to the guys who make shitty Watchmen. <laughs> I know you love it. You love yeah, it. I love shitty Watchmen. Um, but yeah, like like Matt, the Doomsday Matt, Clock, as we like to call it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, the Doomsday Clock. The Doomsday Clock. Pre-clock. Like podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like that that Watchmen line sticks with me, like um, because it's true. Like especially like Wiktiv with the trades, Sex Criminals with the trades. Like most people come to it that way. Like I think I think were similar like like the first trade I think you've, you've sold more Wiktiv but like I think we're at like 150,000 I've literally lost track now yeah, uh, that's, yeah. That's, that's a lot. I don't know how many we've sold yeah but it's more than the singles that's yeah, it yeah much more yeah and so like recognizing that and knowing that it'll always be on shelves mm-hmm. in one form or another um, at least for the next several years if not uh, till, till we die and then people profit off our deaths I tell you, this is a weird. This is something me and Jamie felt. Like our entire career has been like you know sleeping on floors and that kind of. Yeah. How, how on earth can we try to hold this book together so we can do more of it? 
Yeah. With Watchmen, sorry, not Watchmen, Wick did. It was, oh my god, how can we not fuck this up? Yeah. <laughs> you know, as in like, yeah. for, for once in a chance, once in a life, something's worked for us. How can we not blow it? Did that ever go for your head? Um, all the time, because like Wick did, you planned. You went in with a, with, with far more of a plan than Matt and I did with Sex Criminals because we, one of our first phone co- conversations Matt and I had about it, we were just kind of working out like a story and character and stuff and a lot of the conversations were about our own sexual history and at some point Matt said to me, you know this is only going to last three issues, right? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> like, it's, it's such a stupid premise and we're clearly just doing it for each other. Um, and we're already getting like backlash for calling a book sex criminals in the solicitations. So we're just like, the people we want to read it are the ones that aren't going to read it. And the people that are going to come to it expecting just dick jokes are going to be like, what's with this emotion shit? Yeah. <laughs> and they were going to move on. Um, so there was like, it was like negative plan. There was nothing like, and Matt always says, you know, after issue three, you can kind of see like four and five. He's like, oh, I'm trying to feel it out. Like, what are we going to do here? And the gap between five and six was long. And by the time six came out, Matt wrote a whole thing about like depression. So it totally took the story in a completely different way. So there was no planning. There was no thought about like. I mean, I guess basically at every point we were wondering how are we going to fuck this up mm. because we didn't expect it to do well. Um, we thought we were going to fuck it up right away, uh, and people were like, "You're not fucking it up." And we're like, "Oh, um, <laughs> I guess we make more of these." <laughs> Um, we keep each other in check too on it. Like once in a while, one of us will just like want to veer off in another area or have a, an idea that doesn't quite work, and the other will be like, mm, "Let's like let's sit on this and come back to it." And uh, so that's sometimes why there's like the bigger delays and, than there should be. Is it's more of a thought process than a production uh, problem. Um, but now, I mean, at at, at some point, um, like over the summer, Matt and I got together. Uh, and I was like, you know, uh, you're bringing in a lot of new characters here. And, and I can kind of see it in Matt where he's like, he's really good at that. Mm-hmm. At like introducing a new character, making you feel for them. Um, and I felt like he was kind of like falling back on that a little bit. And we were creating so many characters in the book. I'm like, we need resolutions for everyone now. And because we're kind of doing this on the go, like there's no ultimate plan. I was like, we need a final issue number in our head. Uh, and then you need to start working towards it with me, and that 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 changed the book. All of a sudden, between issue twenty and um, and the the, the f- finale of the book in the future, uh, we start breaking it down. So now we actually kind of know through issues and arcs mm-hmm. what's going to happen. It's yeah, it's it's such a weird process in a book where you you just have no idea at the beginning if it's going to go anywhere. <laughs> I think like. I mean, the freedom of like sex criminals is uh, sex criminals often makes me mad. As I think it's, it's incredible work, and it really oh, makes me kind of like embarrassed. <laughs> so, why are we this good? What? Uh, no, no, it's just insane. You're so good. I love you, man. But wow. But that kind of like the, 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 there's a level of emotional maturity to sex criminals, which is it's like trying to explain sex criminals is very difficult. Yeah, you go, yeah. Oh, it's about people who you know have sex, uh, have sex and rob banks. Sorry, yeah. have sex and stop time than rob banks, and it's very serious about you know sex and you know yeah, everything. Yeah. But it, and, it, and that kind of like that that <coughs> contrast is so important to the book. But of course, the weird for me, the thing about sex problems is you don't really do it like anyone else. It's just, just <laughs> so <laughs> you don't. You know, you, you're co-writing it, and you're co-writing it in a like. Would you say that? Um, or like, you're, you're, there's definitely more artist-writer collaboration in the truest sense of the word than many of books Image put out. I mean, yeah. me and Jamie are, cl- are tight, but the story's mine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would not say that it's co-written. Hmm. 
Um, I would say there's more collaboration than usual, but it, but it goes both ways too. Like initially, uh, designing the world and especially the effects that go with um, the time stopping, um, a lot of that was Matt. Mm. Like Matt had a lot of ideas for visuals, and he would send me kind of examples from film, especially, or even like videos about the physics of time slowing down, what that does to uh, color. Like I did probably like twelve variations on that before we settled on it. So like. His aesthetic is all over because he's kind of he's got like a film and art school background, so it makes sense that um, he would want to be more involved in the visuals than maybe some writers would. Um, and as for, I mean, I'd say the first three issues, issue one especially, that was probably the most co-written because we did have a lot of back and forth on it, and there'd be scenes I'd be like, oh, why don't we do this instead? And he'd be like, oh, how about this? And I'm like, okay, that that makes sense. The um, the bathroom stall scene in issue one, if you remember that, that was like probably the biggest example of it because in the initial script Matt wrote it was a whole other scene about Susie as a kid going to visit her grandmother and, and um, I think she was I think this is a story based on my ex-wife she was wa sitting there watching curling on TV and all of a sudden had an orgasm which I don't uh, I should, probably shouldn't have said that, that was my ex-wife's story but Roberta <laughs> <laughs> Roberta Carraro I'm so sorry <laughs> um, Can I please edit this bit <laughs> <laughs> But must um, be also the doomsday clock bits. <laughs> <laughs> but but so what happened? So he sent it to me, and I'm like, well, this actually really mirrors like an earlier scene, uh, maybe too much so, and like we need some jokes in here, and so I had an idea for the scene of the bathroom stall, but in my version, um, Rachel opens the door and it's already there, um, which is a poor writer decision. Like that for me visually, oh that's great, you open it and it's all there, but Matt. Uh, changed it so when you walk in, you un you unveil them all like you she she draws them all, which is a better way to tell that. And then, the the next step in the collaboration was, we were like, okay, what are these going to be? And he's like, you send me fifty just names, and I'll send you fifty names. And so I did that, and then he he stripped it down to the top twenty, and just sent me those names. And then I had to figure out what those names meant, and then mm -hmm. we re we rearranged them. Uh, and and, and re-dialogue the whole scene based on that. So that was like, there was a lot of collaboration just on that scene alone. And I feel like issue one is kind of like the most representative of that collaborative process. Now it's, we just trust each other uh, a lot more. So it starts with a phone call where Matt tells me what he's thinking. I give him some suggestions, a bit of back and forth. And he gives me the script. If I have suggestions after that point, um, they're usually minor. Um, if they're major, then you know we have to have another talk and kind of figure it out. But um, I stick really closely to the script because I'm um, I'm paranoid of like upsetting Matt, mm. like uh, and he's paranoid about upsetting me. So that sounds healthy. Yeah, we're we're we're, <laughs> we're really gentle with each other in, in a lot of ways. Like because um, I'm like an apologetic Canadian and he's like an apologetic uh, Southerner, and it's like that kind of comes together. I'm like I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just need. I just need to turn this panel into two panels. Is that going to be okay? Oh no, no, I'm I'm sorry that I wrote it that way. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, there's a lot of conversations like that, uh, but less so now that we're in the groove. Um, the big thing with the, the the issues is I don't show Matt anything Ooh, until it's done. Like he gives me the script, I'm like all right, I'll see you in a month and a half. So and when you I, say I done, do you mean all. done as in lettered and lettered. All, all the side jokes added? And Everything's in there, right. and and that's partly because I I. 
I love making him laugh, and I, I love just dumping it all on him, and then like getting the text back. And, and he does the same with the script. Like sometimes he'll just send me like little bits of it because he just wants the reaction from me. Because um, ultimately the book is Matt doing it for me, me doing it for Matt, and uh, that still kind of continues. It, there's there's the big drawback, obviously, is when there's a problem with what I've drawn, colored and lettered. Yeah. Then to go back and, and change it, um, it takes a bit more time, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's worth it just to kind of keep it fresh for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember like when what was your, when did you first actually meet Matt and what was your first impression of him? Well, I mean, I don't know if you have the same thing because like we met online on the Warren Ellis forum, mm -hmm. like almost all of us. Do like, you want to talk about the Warren Ellis forum to give people some context? Yeah, yeah. So it's like when did it start? Like ninety eight. So like before I was into comics. So like, was yeah, it was like kind of the original comic book message board. Um, and I just kind of stumbled on it when I was like, I like comics again. Comic book message board. Like, oh, who's this Warren Ellis character? And, uh, and it was an amazing kind of uh, uh, space for uh, creators and readers because it was the first time readers got to actually interact with these creators. And then and most of us were just like readers, kind of mm -hmm. wanna be creators. Um, and there were very strict rules because it was Warren. Um, <coughs> I, think, I think my first interaction with them on there, I made some sort of joke at him, and he told me to fuck off and die. Like it was immediate. Like like that was like my first interaction. With him. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what this <laughs> that's what this Warren guy is like. But um, but it was great because it was a great um, uh, way to interact with uh, creators, fellow readers, and to kind of like you could see people uh, at the time, and you could kind of see their trajectories already. Like they were kind of smart people, funny people, interesting people. Um, like there was no doubt that you were going to write comics hmm. from reading that. There was a bit of doubt about Jamie. That's always happening. But Matt and Kelly Sue, especially, like they were just like uh, powerhouses of mm. intellect and humor, and you could see that, like, oh, they're going to rule the world. Yeah, you know, they literally met on the forum. They People met don't know. They met there, and that's how they, you know, eventually ended up. You know, going yeah, there. yeah. And there's so many people were from that uh, message board. Yeah. Um, which is crazy, and so like Matt and I shared a very similar sense of humor, like kind of right away, and like, and bonded online. But we didn't <coughs> meet until maybe a year before Sex Criminals, wow. where he was in uh, Toronto for a convention, and it was just like that weird, awkward kind of first date after being uh, internet courting for a long time. Like you didn't quite know, do I yeah. hug you? Like I feel so close to you, but this is weird. Um, so yeah, we, we, we got along uh, kind of right away, and within a year we were working on Sex Criminals, so yeah. That's good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah it worked, worked out really well. And it was mostly because like, I knew, like I watched his career, which was fun, because it felt a little bit like my career, because I felt so similar to Matt that like... It's one of you, it's like it's the bit in Goodfellas, one of us gets made... You know, like, yeah. that's how I always felt about Matt, isn't this, you know, his golden child entering Marvel and Concrete. A hundred percent. Like, every success of his felt like, like, my success, yeah. too. I'm like, oh, this is great. And so, like, watching him kind of go through Marvel, and, you know, by the time we started talking about sex criminals, um, he was on the fence there. Like, you know, am I staying, going, mm. you know, things were good, bad. It was hard to tell. And he wanted to do something wildly different. And I was getting really tired of the newspaper job, because that was, like, 13 years and I found myself repeating jokes. I'm like, oh, this is not this is not a good feeling. And my original pitch to him was, it had happened, um, do you know uh, uh, Trudeau, my prime minister? <laughs> uh, before he was prime minister, he was a when member of parliament. When you said my prime minister, it sounds like you're actually the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the newspaper sent me, before he was prime minister, it sent me to uh, 
cover a boxing match where he was boxing a senator, a Canadian senator for charity. <laughs> um, and it was a real like good versus evil because like the senator was a bad guy. Like he'd been up on charges for terrible things, and uh, Trudeau was kind of like you know the son of a prime minister, and he was kind of the pretty boy, and nobody knew if he had it in him. And, um, so I was sent to cover this. So I was like ringside. I don't know if you ever been to a boxing match before. It's horrible. No, it's horrible. Like every instinct is to get into the ring to stop them from fighting. When you see people <laughs> fighting, you're like, no, you have to stop this. Um, but I was there, and I had to stay up like basically all night because I I, there, I was there. I documented it. I you know talked to him. I talked to like his mom, and um, and had to quickly kind of make a comic and then get on a train back to the newspaper to put it all together and to see print the next day. And so on the train, uh, on the train back, I was just like, I was so out of it. Uh, but I, but I had that charge of just like witnessing these men yeah, beat yeah. each other and knowing I was kind of part of this weird thing because everybody there knew he was going to be prime minister. Like everyone in the room, as soon as that happened, they were like, "Oh, this is our next prime minister." <laughs> Weirdly enough, that's how politics works in Canada. Beat <laughs> <laughs> a man half to death, you're prime minister. <laughs> we seem like a gentle folk. But on the way there, I think I was just like high off of this, and I just emailed Matt, and I'm like, um, "Hey." We should just do something. Let's just do something. I don't care what it is. We've kind of done a little thing before, like for a music video, um, but I don't like. We should do a comic, and I suggested because um, we knew, and, and you know, Ed Brubaker um, hates uh, or loves Lord of the Rings so much, and Matt and I do not care for it um, <laughs> or fantasy. Uh, I thought it'd be really funny if him and I made a fantasy comic, <laughs> just knowing nothing about fantasy tropes, nothing, right? um, and just to like drive Ed crazy. And that was my pitch to him. And Matt wrote back like, a comic about a couple who, when they have sex, they stop time and rob banks. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> and so the whole trip back, when I should have been more working on the Trudeau comic, I was just we were emailing back and forth, and we figured out like most of the main characters and. Uh, a lot of the world, just like, just like on that, which is kind of bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. And then the so the second time I actually met Matt was at our launch party for Sex Criminals when he flew to Toronto and we had it in a uh, in a sex club, um, uh, <laughs> the three story sex club where I read erotic poetry dressed as Garfield and Matt cut his, <laughs> and Matt cut his nipple pierced on stage <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, and he was so out of it that day. He's like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I was writing X-Men, and now look at me. <laughs> again, at that time, we had no idea what we were doing and how it was going to do. So That was the great fun of the image of that period. As in, there was a lot of, uh, we yeah. used to joke on the web. It's like, there's very clearly very angry young people. What, yeah. We're going to take over comics. Yeah. And like, we'll do it in five years. Yeah. Didn't do it in five years. <laughs> you know, that, but that yeah. kind of, that you, well, was just kind of how we wanted to do things. So Yeah. Yeah, make sure if you go along. Yeah, way. fuck it. Was it freeing? Yeah. Do you ever think? Uh, do you ever think about when you get sick of Marvel and you go into your Matt Fraction phase? You said like Marvel was, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of you wanting to move on, and so I used to got sick of it's a very broad stroke. You know what I mean? As in, when yeah. you say you've had enough and you want to do something else, do you yeah, think yeah. About what's next for Chip? Um, part of the part of the beauty of coming in like after Matt, yourself, Ed, um, people I've known that have gone through Marvel is you recognize it's limited. Like, you recognize it before. Like, I'm sure you, when you went into Marvel, you recognize, like, okay, you know, there's a bit of a trajectory here, and you'll do these things, and, and, and maybe that'll be it. Um, and so that's always in the back of my head. I'm trying to put it more to the front of my head just to kind of plan it out a bit better. Like, I've never been good at career planning because my career has always been, 
well, that's a funny idea. And I'll just do a thing, and maybe it'll lead somewhere, maybe it won't. Mm. But now, you know, I'm at the age where, you know, you own a house, and, you know, I got bills to pay, and, uh, and technically I'm freelance. No matter what I'm doing now, I'm freelance. If I'm at Marvel or at Image, the, 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 the checks change, like, every month. So you kind of have to think of the future. So, yeah, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a plan in mind um, for when Marvel calls me next month and says, we don't want you to do this anymore. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary, but I'm also I'm, I'm old enough now that I'm like, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll weather this, I'll figure it out. Um, How the, did you find going freelance? I mean, of course, you, went on, you know, you basically had a full-time job for 13 years. Yeah. And yeah. that's like... You know, that's, that's, I've been freelance since 2003, so it's yeah. like kind of like I was always kind of coming from a freelance, and it was quite easy for me to segue into this level of chaos. <clears throat> I had freelance right out of school mm. because any newspaper work I was doing was basically like a day a week, um, and that was pretty terrifying most of the time. Like, I remember one month when I couldn't make rent, I'm like, oh, this is what that feels like, that's bad. Um, but I highly recommend, like, if you have a job for 13 years, um, if you are going to go freelance, go freelance with a uh, with a a hit image book <laughs> that, 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 that helps a fair amount like um, I tried to do both for a whole year like I was working at the paper while Sex Criminals 1 through 6 or 7 was being made and coming out and that was like super hard and it was actually a hard decision to actually finally leave the paper uh, because it, it made me who I am and I loved it I loved the people there and the idea of kind of working by myself all day was not entirely the best idea and uh, and so I, I completely miss it, but uh, but yeah, I think the, the, taking the year to kind of make that decision helped as well. Yeah. Have you? Um, I mean, what do you think the newspaper gave you? I mean, it's such like I kind of sorry. I occasionally think that me working on magazines and as long as I did, yeah, uh, my natural prima donna instincts got beat out of me. Yes. <laughs> I, I I hit the lines and I, I I do rewrites. I do lots of things you would think I, yeah. I never complain about anything and I just solve problems because I'm yeah. so used to art editors shouting at me. I mean, yeah, no, that's 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 so true. The, uh, the the biggest thing was when I made the kind of switch at the paper to doing my own kind of humorous stuff. Remember, the first thing I did was um, I did a full page, kind of like infographic style comic about like the uh, Thanksgiving in North America, and it was all like stupid pie charts and graphs and maps, but it was all jokes, and uh, and they were long jokes. And the editor came up to me, he's like, "All right, this has to be half of what it is." Because this is a newspaper, and you've lost them after like two lines. Mm. And I was like, "But my precious words!" <laughs> um, and I was upset for a while. Like they would cut like so much, and then I started to learn. Oh no, he's right. Like for this medium, this is mm. how it has to be. And uh, you become far less precious because things would change so quickly. Like I'd usually get um, a, a thing I had to do with the paper at like two in the afternoon. It would have to be ready for print by six. Uh, and it would be written and drawn to a, to a certain dimensions. And then they'd change editions, so that would change again. So I'd have an hour to take something that was this and make it this on a page because they got an ad, and that pays your salary. So now you have to change it really quickly. Um, it was easier when there was no internet because the whole idea of, you know, today's news is tomorrow's birdcage liner, um, that, that actually is true, and it... it, it when you're not happy with the thing on the page, don't worry because no one's gonna look at it after tomorrow. Um, but with uh, online, the, your mistakes are there forever, which is 
the the one kind of uh, downside yeah. of the newspaper towards the end. So, so someone one day will go for all the shit I've ever written. As in like, you know, the idea of yeah. fi- 15 years of culture opinion columns out there with just basically throwing random ideas out. They're all bad. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we're, we're old enough that like, we kind of escaped most of the embarrassing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we had at the newspaper, our theater critic was a, a younger guy. And I think he wrote a whole article about like the fact that his Google history still has like his high school like lesbian erotica, and like <laughs> no matter how high he went as a theater critic, that was always going to be there somehow, uh, which is which is painful. So like most of the newspaper paper stuff is gone. Like they don't even have it on their their site anymore. So um, for for good or ill, few. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like uh, so much embarrassment. Talking about theater. Mm. Have, you, have, you any, have you got any background in performance? Did you do, like, do it at school? I mean, I always think. Why do you say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm more. Okay, put this. I'm, you always pose the photos and you're always very performative in that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, where does that come from? Um, I did a little bit of theatre uh, in public school, mostly because I was like super shy and uh, the teachers kind of pushed me into it because they thought that would like kind of help me out. Um, <laughs> and in, in some cases it did, some cases it didn't. And yeah, I mean, creating the character helped. Like once I created Chip Starsky as a character, then all of a sudden you're acting. Mm. So you could get away with stuff that you normally don't. Um, I've done a few kind of weird little acting things. I acted for in a friend's film a few years ago, um, which you know made it to a couple of festivals, I think. And then uh, it was one of the choices on Air Canada for the movies. So when you're Flying on a plane, you can you can watch me awkwardly in a movie, which is I got more recognized from that than oh, most yeah. things. People are like you're from. Did I see you on an airplane? I'm like, <laughs> as a matter of fact, yes. Did you laugh in Winter Soldier when Ed turned on the screen? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah, that, that entire screen, this very serious torture scene. Me and Jamie are laughing at in yeah, the cinema, yeah. and everyone's looking at like we're in, you know we have no idea what's going on. You have expect Ed to just kind of look at the camera. Like, <laughs> I'm a comic writer. Um, yeah, the, the only other thing I did, never made it to air, was I did a CBC pilot um, where uh, I was the host of a sketch comedy show, which was really exciting for me, because CBC was where Kids in the Hall was, and that was like my big comedy influence when I was younger. Mm. And actually, last year, a, a buddy was producing a movie, and he asked me to audition for like a small part, and, and I did, and I sent it in as uh, uh, a video audition. I was nervous about it. I, I'm not usually nervous about things, but I sent it in. I would have had to fly to Winnipeg to do it, and then I found out that I lost the part to Kevin McDonald of Kids in the Hall, and I was so happy, like to lose a part to like the guy who you imitated when you were in high school. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I didn't get the job <laughs> <laughs> to Kevin McDonald. Like, this is so cool. This is making it very professional because you mentioned theater, now you mentioned influences, and I'm about to ask. What are the you know the courtship influences in that kind of we, t- yeah, we, yeah. we hit some of the comics as a teenager, <coughs> but that kind of what is that kind of if we mine into you what what, what do we discuss? Yeah, I mean, uh, Kids in the Hall was the big one. Like Saturday Night Live when I was in the high school, but Kids in the Hall came out and that was just so shocking and new and different. And uh, and uh, my parents didn't know what to make of it. Like Thursday nights, me and my brother would be like, "All right, get out, we're watching Kids in the Hall," and they'd, they'd look in like, "Is this guy's in drag?" And like, "This gay performer like." happening to our sons and it became an actual thing where like my dad sat me down well first of all they were very supportive they they, they got me tickets to a screening of kids in the hall a taping so i actually got to see one of those live um but eventually my dad like sat me down he's like kind of heart school and you play piano and kids in the hall like, are you are you 
are you gay, son? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. He's like, it's okay if you are. Like, we had an argument for about half an hour as to whether or not I was gay. <laughs> Which was weird, and about like three quarters of the way through, my dad started to admit that he was bi. And I'm like, what? What's going on? <laughs> He's like, oh, no, I get it, son. I get it. I get it, you know, big jaw, hairy chest. I'm like, what's happening here? It's very, very weird. But um, yeah, Kiss in the Hall was like, loomed large in all our lives as uh, young Canadians and, um, and when I moved to Toronto you'd just see them around town it was always just like oh my god it's Mark McKinney playing World of Warcraft in the internet cafe like it's all, <laughs> it all weird things like that um, but that was the big one yeah for sure uh, I love Kids in the Hall and I kind of want to do more like kind of like acting and kind of weird dumb mm. video stunts because I miss that part comics Newspapers, I could do tons of stuff. Like, I was able to run for mayor and, like, rappel down a building dressed as Spider-Man. Like, you'd think these things, uh, you know, would be things you could do in comics, but you can't. Like, you sit alone in a room and you write or draw and you put it out into the world. If you had to run ChipCon, how would it work? I, this, I found myself thinking this earlier, so you winning a con would be interesting. I mean, me and Fraction, yeah. like, we did a panel a few years ago where we just basically ended up playing bits of music and then everyone sat in silence listening to... You know, uh, here come the warm jets. Uh, and, we to this, and it is amazing. And the idea of literally doing a panel, just hang out of a crater, listen to an album, no one speaks. <laughs> Brilliant, I love uh, it. But, like, how, you know, that's, I would weirdly allow you to be theatric, you know, you dig into that part of you and you get to redefine what a con actually means for you now. Yeah, I mean, I do Zadar's con. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's actually a really good example of what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, I, I, I kind of did it because I missed the stunts. Mm. Like, I missed the newspaper stunts. So the first Zadar's con... There's a, there's a show in Toronto, Fan Expo. Um, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I don't particularly enjoy that show, and I don't go to it. But uh, I recognize that a lot of people are in town at that time of year, and I should probably do something. So the first year, uh, myself and my friends at a comic shop basically set me up across the street from the convention on a, on a kind of like a trolley, <laughs> where I would just like sit in a chair that was bolted to the trolley with like a magazine rack and a signing table and another little table, because I just wanted the Eisner, so we bolted the Eisner to the table so people could like spin the Eisner. And my friend from the comic shop would just like pull me on the trolley. <laughs> and I'd just like go back and forth in front of the convention center across the street, um, just baking in the sunlight and trying to sign comics. And uh, most of the people on the other side of the street were not there for comics, they were on their way to the Blue Jays game, so it was very confusing to them. <laughs> my, my banner at the time said I was the creator of Batman. <laughs> I remember this one family came up, like, and the dad was like, Kids, kids, gather around. This is the creator of Batman. I'm like, I'm like a 40-year-old man. I'm like, sure, and I draw Batman for them. Like, here you go. Um, and that was like so much fun. And then, so two years later, we decided to do it again. But I decided to make it a, a con, a proper con, um, in which I, uh, I told people like, you know, at this time on on the convention day, line up on the street corner, and like so, all these people lined up in the street corner. And then an employee from the, the comic shop would take five people at a time, bring them into a hotel, bring them up to the business suite, and then I would open the door in my bathrobe. Like, <laughs> Welcome to Zadar's Con. And like, the one area was like decked out from a comic shop with all of the comics, and then you'd go into the bedroom area, and it would just be myself and a bunch of creators just like lounging in bed. <laughs> you know, Marguerite Bennett was there, Ryan North was there, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. 
who said it was his favorite convention because <laughs> you don't see like hundreds of people in front of you. It, you just sit there on the couch and like five people come in. You talk about Scott Pilgrim for a bit, do a sketch, <laughs> and they're gone. And so we just did that all day. Just run five people through, take them downstairs, five more people, and it was the best. It got a little awkward when Chester Brown showed up. Uh, and later, <laughs> late in the bed, because he didn't he didn't know what was going on. Like, one of my friends at the comic shop invited him to this thing. He's like, "Oh, I'm up for anything." And like, all of a sudden, Chester Brown's like, "Oh, so we just lie in this bed and sign comics? All right, I'm Chester Brown." And he just sit there and sign his uh, his memoir about sleeping with uh, prostitutes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this must be familiar for you, Chester. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the, like that, that was so much fun, and like everyone, all the creators involved had a good time, and everyone that came through had a good time. And I, I want to do something like that, but it's hard to do it again and grow it without it becoming, you know, the thing you hate, you know. So unless I can get like a giant like convention hall filled with mattresses, I don't know. <laughs> do you have suggestions? Live the dream, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like I'm gonna obviously question. I'll turn into questions in a minute, but it's probably worth talking a little bit about the work for hire in terms of like. Yeah. Um, how do you find it? <coughs> I mean, I mean, you know, how, what, mentally, what, what, how do you approach the page in that kind of way? <laughs> I can literally imagine, sorry, Matt hitting me on the back of my head at that question. <laughs> um, well, it's funny, like, I, I only, I learned to write comic scripts from Matt, um, so I kind of took the lessons from his scripts for Sex Criminals, I translated them to the Work for Hire stuff. A lot of it's done on instinct, because you kind of, like, after reading those comics for years, you kind of understand the beats mm -hmm. of single issue and arcs and, uh, at what point somebody has to punch somebody. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that the, the first thing was Howard the Duck, which nobody gave a shit about. I mean, people bought it and people enjoyed it, I think, but um, we could just kind of dance around and not get wrapped up in continuity. Because I remember, like, towards the end of Volume 1, um, The Secret Wars was about to happen, and my editor was like, Hey, would you like a sales bump from Secret Wars? I'm like, no. He's like, all right, you're not part of Secret Wars. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I know the Squirrel Girl is kind of the same thing with Ryan. Like, you know, Secret Empire comes about. and like, oh, what's happening? Oh, New York's going to be, like, surrounded by a dark, impenetrable bubble. He's like, ah, Squirrel Girl's going to Antarctica. I was like, great, all right. <laughs> so books like that, you can kind of avoid the continuity traps that everyone else has to navigate, uh, which made Howard the Duck super fun and easy to write because, like, all you had to worry about is like, oh, I want to use Captain America. Oh, he's an old man right now? Okay. Oh, he's a Hydra agent? All right. Like, you, you, you deal with those things as they come to you. Um, but yeah, it, it made it made it very easy. It made it like almost like fan fiction, like just kind of having fun with the characters. Um, and so it's progressively getting more... Um, so you're going down a dungeon with increasingly harder difficulty levels. Yes, that's exactly it. So like uh, Star-Lord... Um, I was like, oh, wow, I'm doing Star-Lord, Outer Space Adventures. And they're like, oh, he's uh, trapped on Earth. Like, okay, Star-Lord on Earth. All right, okay. And you kind of get your head around it because you have to, like, navigate what's happening in the main Guardians book. Um, and, you know, I, I think Star-Lord turned out well for what it was. Uh, but it was, it, was a, it was a trickier book to write. And then now with Spider-Man, it's even trickier because uh, Marvel's very protective of the Spider-Man for a lot of uh, valid reasons. The Spider-Man. The Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there's, there's a main title to worry about. So I know I'm the secondary title, and what's happening in Amazing Spider-Man is stuff I have to, like, I have to weirdly, like, dance around because part of the mandate for this book was um, it has to be an introductory book for people. Mm. Um, it has to go back to the basics. You can't mention that he runs a multi-million dollar uh, tech company. 
which is a very tricky thing to do because the next thing they tell me is we would love Tinkerer to be your first villain, <laughs> this tech guy. I'm like, oh, all the solutions are down the street in this building that <laughs> Spider-Man owns. But I have to kind of like not throw off people that come into it after seeing Homecoming. Mm. So I have to deal with that. I have to deal with the larger Marvel continuity. I have to, like, I don't know how, how much did you plan your work for higher stuff? Depends on the book. Yeah. I mean, like, I got quote-unquote better at it. But at least part of the stuff was I planned to be resilient. I mean, yeah. Journey to Mystery, I needed the whole plot. But I also yeah. knew that I'd be crossing over, like, constantly. So I had to work out a way to survive. Like, okay, I, Journey to Mystery basically subverted every crossover it was in. Yeah. In this kind of quite aggressive and creepy way. Yeah. And yeah, kind yeah. Of, if you read Journey to Mystery, Fear Itself is just about Journey to Mystery. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about me. Uh, sure. And so, but even like, you know what I mean? As in, like in, in X Men, it's like, you know, you, you saw Schism and I saw. Yeah. If, and I tend to write towards crossovers. Yeah. If I'm doing a mainstream book, as opposed to going, oh no, it's derailed my story, I make the crossover my story. So, in other words, when I'm writing Kenny X Men, I know yeah. Schism happens after 12 issues, I know that Avengers vs. X Men happens after another 10. Yeah. So, in other words, I need to write white, you know, foreshadowing Schisming and then foreshadowing X Men fighting Avengers. <coughs> And yeah, that, you know, I mean, that's that became my story. Yeah, I think I think part of the issue working on this Spider-Man book is the fact that like I'm not part of the crossovers because they don't want to mm. pr- confuse the readers. But I also have to respect what's happening in the crossovers and have it kind of appear as a natural part of my book. So so it'll it'll derail things here and there. Like you know, I kind of planned out 20 issues and um, that kept getting like chopped down, brought back up, chopped down again, <coughs> cut into two over here. Um, and then and Marvel is run um, as well as it can be with the number of editors they have, but it's also very tricky. Sometimes they don't know what's happening in another book, and you'll write mm. a script with a character, and you'll find out they died this month. And you're like, oh, i got to go back and, and change. So I'm just thinking some of my stories, which I can't possibly say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, the next four issues revolve around that character. What am I going to do? And I got there's a lot of, like, plugging things. Um, I said to Matt, like, issue one... That was spectacular. I'm, I'm really proud of it, but it's very hard for me to look at it because uh, the way I told Matt, I was like, um, I jumped through so many hoops with that that all I see are the hoops. Mm. So I look at it now, I'm like, oh, I know why I did this, this, and this, and this because of these things thrown at me. And it's very hard to kind of like re- revisit it in a pure fashion because you kind of see um, editorial uh, edicts or, um, or problems with other titles that kind of affect you so yeah it, it's tricky but like I really do treat it kind of like the newspaper the newspaper has like you know intense deadlines and once you're done you can push it aside and you kind of move on to the next one um, yeah it's definitely trickier as you go down into that dungeon how do you find writing for I mean I mean, this is the most bad, this, I know sure people ask you this a lot because it's a standard sort of question for write, yeah. artists turned writers yeah. or cartoonists turned writers but how on earth do you deal with the concept of an artist like because you've been there does it make it because I know some people say I've heard some people say artists actually are more aggressive to write for because they frankly, oh, I would do it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so, so there's, sometimes there's a bit of that. Um, like, obviously every artist is different. And so my first experience was with Joe Canonis and Howard. And uh, the issue I had was I, I wrote it all out with the visuals in mind because I'd always just written for myself. Mm-hmm. And so when the layouts came back from Joe, my first instinct was like, oh my God, this isn't what I would do. Like he's 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 done this instead of this, and I was I was actually upset. Like after reading the first issue, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this mm-hmm. because this is wrong. Everything he's done is wrong. And then I step back, and then I look back at the pages. I'm like, oh, it's better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a shitty artist. And like so, the reverse thing happens where um, 
you see this art come back and you see how much better it is than anything you do and you're just like, fuck. God damn, Joe Canonis, you're so good. <clears throat> um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's kind of that trap. Uh, I've, I've since kind of, trained, kind of trained myself to not... It's weird because it's, it's, it's counter to what you think you should do. Yeah. I, I train myself to not think too visually when I'm writing it. Oh, that's um, interesting. Because if I do, then um, I'm basically setting myself up for like disappointment. Um, it, when it doesn't reflect what what I uh, what I want, like I still have, I still have a, I feel like a good sense of like what works on a page, and 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 I don't think any writers ever been like, what? Why did he write ten panels on this page? Or this isn't a three <laughs> panel page. Why is he doing that? Like I, I think I have a pretty good sense of it. Um, but I'm also I'm surprised at how different every artist is, like in terms of like, it's like speed dating. I find it's like with the hires, yeah. this kind of you've got to get chemistry quickly. It's it's it's, like, it's speed dating, but also it's like an arranged marriage. Yeah, like there's there's, there's high pressure stream. Yeah. There's weird elements of that, and then like when you kind of like break up, like like I find it hard to read America because Joe, I'm like that's my Joe. What's he doing over there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know I know a lot of writers have trouble reading titles after they've left them. I don't have that problem at all. Um, I would look forward to like reading an issue of Jughead that, that, that Ryan and Derek were working on. Um, but I have a trouble with the artist moving on past me. Like I'm like, no, we had a thing. We had a thing. It was just a, it was more of an approach, right, to me. It's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's 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 it's, it's weird like that um, because I, I tend to, and also I don't know because I haven't seen any other scripts. But Matt wrote scripts to me as a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, it was always you know, hey, oh, hey, buddy, we're doing this, and what do you think of this? Blah blah blah. And I, I try to write that way for artists as well. So it becomes a very personal thing. Like I'm, I'm writing like a love letter, weirdly enough, to the artist every issue. And then they fucking go off and do runaways. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how dare you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, Spider-Man's really interesting because like Adam, I was worried about that. Like they pitched me Adam. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. Because he's like, he's a pro. Like he's a seasoned vet and... I thought the dynamic would be well off because up until now, like I've always been kind of the same age, or mm. just a little bit older than than the artists, and we could kind of like, um, kind of tell each other off a little bit if need be. And I'm like, Adam Cooper, forget it. But like out of everyone I've worked with, he's the one that's like most open to anything. Mm. He's like so excited on the book. He's like, oh, let's mix it up and do this. I'm like, oh, I love this. Let's try this. And like, we can go back and forth, and uh, and uh, and it's fine. And that's a, that's a weird experience because I'm like, oh man, you're Adam Kubert, like signing next to him when people bring up books that I used to buy yeah, is yeah. a weird thing. <laughs> um, uh, probably the most upset I've I've gotten with an artist, and she's here tonight, is uh, Rachel. Rachel, are you here? Yeah, I see you. Rachel's Rachel's doing a, a Sex Criminals uh, one shot annual, and. Uh, and she's so good at background details, which I felt like was my thing. Mm. Like, no one's going to trump me with that. And uh, pages will come in from Rachel, and Matt will be like, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, whatever. It's fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's cool. Like, yeah, I kind of want to just give up drawing sex criminals now and just have Rachel do it. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Wick did Christmas special to do as well. Yeah. <laughs> so in demand. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably actually ask them. I've got always more things to ask, but it's probably best to actually ask the room if we've got anything because we've got about 25 minutes left. No, 20 minutes left. Hello, on the left. Sir. I'm just curious about if you guys had any backlash after naming the comic Sex Criminals because I feel like people are so uh, touchy yeah. about it. Um, we had this weird thing because, like, when Matt and I first conceived of the book, 
it was uh, it was basically a dick joke book. Yeah. Like that's all that's all we had in mind. Like ah, oh, just be funny. Like just like uh, Matt's idea in mind was it would be like the forty year old virgin, but for comics. Like you would ju- it was just a sex comedy, and that's it. And when he told me the title, I'm like, okay, all right, I see. You know, that's that's a funny twist on it. All right, okay. And then he wrote the solicitation copy for the previews catalog where everyone orders from. And it's basically like, doop, 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 it's Matt and Chip, dick joke, dick joke, fart, fart, fart. And like, like that, I mean, that may have been it, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was in the catalog and people were looking at it and like, I was like, oh my God, like, we, we started to get like weird little bits of backlash people upset at the title like I'm never gonna I'm never gonna read this mm-hmm. and it's usually people that we uh, empathize with the most it would be oh, yeah. like our friends on the left would be like oh how could you do this and I'm like ah it's not gonna be that um, but the solicitation copy I was worried that the people coming in to read it were gonna want what we promised <laughs> and like, like I was saying earlier and all of a sudden it'd be a thing about emotions and that would backlash people who wanted to read it wouldn't read it because of the title um, so it was like it was another reason why we thought it was going to fail. Um, you know, we were we were lucky that kind of out of the gate, the word spread quickly enough that we we haven't run into kind of any kind of backlash on it because I think the product has um, uh, trumped the name in a lot of ways. But uh, but yeah, it was it was. It was tricky at first. At first, I'm like, oh, wow, my first big comic, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Uh, do I have a question? Yes. Hi. Um, so when you started writing Jughead, it was the second for the new Riverdale that was yes. It never connected to the uh, Wade and Staples Archie series. Was there a reason for that? Because there was no kind of interlinking or... Oh, we hate them. <laughs> no, no. Um, the, uh, the mandate for the Jughead book was basically like, you know, this is the universe... And you know it's it's basically the Archie characters, but kind of more modern. Um, do what you will. Uh, I think the disconnect kind of comes between the art styles because Archie was so known for having a very particular art style for years, and when uh, Fiona kind of redesigned them, um, with that wasn't as a template for the other artists. So when Erica came on board, you know she was going to have her own take on it as well. And we tried to keep with the tone of the characters. As Mark and Fiona were were, um, were working with them, but uh, but still put our own kind of spin on it. So they technically take place in the same universe for anyone who was like continuity minded. Like um, they were the same characters, but um, because of the, the drastic difference in styles between the two, um, it never quite felt that way. Um, you know, for 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 good or ill. Like I don't know if anyone really wants like kind of hyper continuity in Archie comics. I kind of I kind of like them kind of standing on their own. Um, obviously, if Mark you know like killed off a character, we would have reflected it in Jughead. But um, the Archie people were pretty happy just to kind of let us go and do our own thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a fun weird job. Like I, I know I don't know Archie comics mean something different here, but like for me, those were my first comics, um, and because the digests, the du- double digests, felt like novels. They felt like. Mm. Like mom's got her novels, her weird, <laughs> her weird smutty novels, and uh, and I've got mine. And like car trips would be me reading my novels in the back seat like an academic, but they were like Archie comics. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a weird thrill for me to kind of work on those 
on those characters and and R2 was great like they kind of let us do whatever we wanted um, which was surprising but I think they recognized like Mark and Fiona you know they kind of let them go and do what they wanted and they're like oh that works why don't we just keep going with this Um, I think Ed Brubaker should eventually write Jughead he's like the biggest Jughead fan (laughs) Jughead in Lord of the Rings that's the the book he's born to write well he did that Archie story in Criminal I had to obviously Archie's last thing over here so I had to sort of <clears throat> I reverse engineered the Archie setup from its references in pop culture elsewhere. Yeah. As all the Betty and Veronica and Archie stuff. Yeah. I've, I've learned by, you know, working out the jokes yeah, yeah. as and what's the point? Why would this be funny? So reverse analyzing the face, Innocent, which one was it called? It was, it was one of the criminal ones. It's Seduction, criminal, of, the Seduction of the Innocent. Yeah, yeah. You know, reverse engineering why that was an Archie Watchman take. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Ed's, Ed's really deep into that stuff, yeah. so it, it showed there. Is there a further question? Right. Um, there seems to be this sort of um, comedian sort of, I don't know if it's a panic or some sort of like inertia where they get to a point where they're like, they, they want to move past the comedy and be like, quote unquote, taken seriously. There's a serious <laughs> author. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Carrey, I think like the movie Sullivan's Travels, the whole thing, he's like, I'm going to make serious movies. That yeah. kind of, do you ever feel like the Chip Sadowski? Thing has become sort of like a brand or do you ever want to subvert it in any way I don't know like, um, well like I mean the beautiful part of being mostly known for comedy writing is once in a while you'll put out an issue that'll be serious and it'll like impact a bit more mm-hmm. like somebody brought up it was like issue two of the second volume of Howard the Duck which didn't even feature Howard but it was like a whole new story about like oh, um, two children losing their father and like um, and almost everyone that brings that up to me it shows like you asshole <laughs> like I'm reading this funny duck book and then this thing happens and it's like meaningful and impactful and sad and like you kind of get away with it as a comedian so it's like it's like knowing when to play the serious card once in a while and Spider-Man's kind of the same thing you know we got a couple issues coming up that are like one's kind of actually fairly serious and another one's like super dramatic and um, and uh, hopefully they mean more because of that you know the comedians uh, you know the Tom Hanks Jim Carrey thing I think a lot of that is like a comedian at some point will be asked to be funny on demand like like it's an expected thing and and you can get a little tired of it like i can imagine jim carrey you know it'd be like dance monkey dance like you're jim carrey hey let me catchphrase you to death like you don't get catchphrase for serious things that much um uh, luckily in comics, <laughs> so right. just imagine the image of just heckling like Shakespearean actors. To be or not to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm picturing like like is there if there's any line from like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, no one would shout that at him. <laughs> like it's just not a thing. Um, uh, so I think yeah, comedians kind of want to break out of that because like especially as you get older, you're like oh, I'm more than this. Like people just keep yelling smoking at me, and like <laughs> I'm not just smoking. Um, the comedy makes the better dramatic actors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The comedy's harder than drama. That's, I mean, I think almost yeah. anyone in acting will say that. And mm-hmm. in comics, I think that's the case as well, like, to, to be able to, like, kind of deliver humor um, while telling a story is, is trickier than just... I find it easier to write to dramatic issues than the comedy issues, which is kind of a weird thing. Like, why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> um, but ultimately, I kind of feel like, especially when you're doing... Marvel stuff like I think Marvel books or like corporate books in general have kind of gotten away from the idea of comics as fun um, uh, so like I always feel like 
it's kind of my responsibility to instill a bit more humor and joy into these kind of comics and characters. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm sure, you know, down the line, you know, I'll run into people who'll be angry at me for making Spider-Man a bit more quippy and a bit more fun. But I'm just like, well, like, my target audience isn't the 50-year-old. It's the uh, 10-year-old or 11-year-old. If it happens to also hit a 50-year-old, great. Like, because um, there are older readers that are coming up to me like, oh, this reminds me of, like, the older comics. I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. Um, so, yeah, I feel like as long as I'm doing Marvel DC stuff, it'll probably be, there'll at least be an undercurrent of kind of, like, humor Though I, I will say, like, I'm doing Marvel 2-in-1 next, which is the thing in Human Torch, and kind of as a... I kind of have to make that a little bit sad and downbeat at the beginning, just because um, they're characters that have gone through a fair amount of loss, mm. and yeah, if you don't address that, then you're a bad storyteller. So ultimately, you just want to tell the best story, and then by issue 2 or 3, we'll get to more jokes. But... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. I always hated Reed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, screw that guy. Do you? Are you the? I must admit, when I was working the Marvel Universe, I was aware that I had my own design preferences, as in I was trying to shunt the Marvel Universe and comic storytelling in a way I wanted to, yeah. a couple of degrees. And yeah. of course, that's what you kind of just described. As in what, so, do you have any other things you're trying to like imprint in the Marvel Universe, or like you know? Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, uh, in in and. It's more in actual conversations with the Marvel people. Like I, I have a, a pretty strong opinions about um, um, what the books should look like, what they should uh, present like you know, in bookstores, and um, uh, I think I think Marvel should probably push more into the area of producing books that stand alone and stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy. And it's, uh, it's a move that they kind of have to do a lot of times, Marvel and DC, to chase the fourth quarter profit with like crossovers and things like that. But, um, but I think it, it behooves them to, to stop and kind of consider their publishing plans and go, well, what, what do we want our like Dark Knight to be or Batman Year One or Watchmen? Like there, there's, if there's a downfall of a company like Marvel, it's the fact that they don't have as much kind of, um, I guess they call them evergreen sellers mm. and uh you know when i hear kind of storylines kind of being bandied about for like the next year or two of marvel when one one jumps out that feels like that like i feel like it's it's my obligation to go whoa 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 everyone in the room stop like that's the book right there um make sure it's one artist make sure there's a beginning middle and end and you will sell that for years mm. um but part of that's because of sex criminals and wicked like because you can see I mean, that with the i mean it's like, like yeah you know yeah, yeah, and then and they fall into the trap. So Hawkeye did really well for them, especially in trades. Like you know, it was mm -hmm. like their top trade of that year, I think. Um, and sometimes the lessons taken from that as a company are, oh, we need to have solo books with like pets that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that eat variety of street food and bows. <laughs> yeah, and bows. But the lesson should be, yeah. oh, take your best creators and go. We'll leave you alone over here. Do what you want. We'll promote it as best we can, and maybe that'll last like for years and make us rich. Like mm. it seems, it seems like a there's a, there's an easy solution there. Uh, X Men. Yeah. <laughs> um, I must say, I really enjoyed the book. Just the tips. I'm like, I always been wondering though, how much of that is you, how much of that is Matt, and like, is any of it real, or is it all? <laughs> <laughs> is any of this real? Um, oh my god. <laughs> So uh, for those who don't know, Just the Tips was um, Matt and I kind of had the idea, like, because we were, 
I think in, in issue two, when we started doing the letters column, um, uh, when I was designing the page, I, I, just, I wrote sex tips along the top, and I was like, oh, that's great. Let's just keep doing that. So every issue, we just kind of like back and forth through these sex tips. And eventually, we were like, oh, we should like kind of collect these. But there weren't enough to collect. And so we told Image, we want to do a, a, a little book, you know, just of our, our sex tips and uh, related uh, sex advice. And uh, they're like, okay, and you know, we, we you know solicited it and stuff, and but we didn't realize the uh, the turnaround on a hardcover is different than a soft cover, and so we got the notification from them like, all right, so the files are due at the printer in two weeks. I'm like, oh, we haven't started this book, <laughs> so over two weeks, basically every night, Matt would send me his. Uh, sex tips I would send him my sex tips I would put them into the book and like we'd have calls panic calls like uh, what else what else uh, dildo dildo uh, penis penis uh, 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 put it here put it there uh, put it everywhere and we just like, like that whole book took two weeks while we were working on sex criminals like I would spend the day doing sex criminals in the evening doing like these ludicrous sex tips <laughs> and so Matt and I have a thing and I think a lot of comic artists especially suffer from this uh, which is how you can become a comic artist, which is what I call short-term emotional memory, where we forget the feeling of the book we just did, like how hard it is to create a comic. Once we're done and it's out of the way, we sit there like, oh, another script. Oh, this will be fun. And, but like forgetting the pain that you went through. And Matt has that a lot because like we finished that book and it like almost killed us. And we were just like, just like dry of ideas by the end. And when he got in his head, he said, like, you know what would be good? If we did nine of these, they would create a perfect cube. <laughs> like, that is not a reason to do nine of these. <clears throat> because he completely forgot. He forgot how hard it was and, like, uh, us pulling our hair out. Wow. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing amongst comic people, especially comic artists. Short-term emotional memory. You just forget about the pain of a, starting a new series and promoting it or a new issue. And, like, yeah. Do yeah. you have any of that? Like, uh, Yeah. It's like, I'm just, I just, fear of death is always my motivation. It's like, you know, good, I've got good. to do more stuff before I die. Good. Um, Solid. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one, it works for me. Yeah. Anyone on the right side of the room wants to ask a question? Hey. Uh, is there any more Katora on the horizon? Hey. Yeah, hopefully, speaking of like how hard it is to do comics. Um, <laughs> Can you make uh, it a cube? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kagan, the artist on it, a good friend of mine, um, I think by issue five, he realized how, how hard this is. Like, he's an, an illustrator. And so um, he's kind of used to the idea of like, he'll get a phone call for an illustration of a yoga position for a magazine and it'll pay him $1,000. Like, okay, and he'll do that and he'll send it off. And then the, uh, the flip side is the comic book where you're basically like, oh, how about half of that for seven illustrations featuring recurring characters that you have to keep consistent with backgrounds. <laughs> now do that 20 times this month. Um, He's very fast, and he's one of my favorite artists. And I think after issue five, he got burnt out. I sent him the script for issue six right afterwards, and it's been a couple years. And uh, <laughs> so, but, but one of the things that happened was we just got like our accruals for Captara, and the, there's a big chunk of change there. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's for the uh, the foreign rights to volumes one through three, and like we've only got volume one. And like, I guess you have to return this money then. And Keg is like, okay. Volume two, here we go. So, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a nice kick in the pants. He's like, oh, yeah, we actually have to do it. People are depending on it. 
Um, the other part is I, I do like the pile of money. It's like no, I don't. It's my money. <laughs> <laughs> we've had we've had a couple of people come up to us at shows with uh, Captara tattoos, which is also a big motivator for Kagan because it's like people have like permanently put characters on their body, and uh, Volume Two has been sitting there for two years. So uh, it's 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 the one comic that's like the most purest form of joy for me, um, and mostly it's because of Kagan, like. Uh, nobody draws things funnier than Kagan does. Like, it, it, the whole idea of Captara was like basically a He-Man book, but um, but it came from when we both worked at the newspaper together. He would leave these drawings up at the station because we both shared a station, and uh, the drawings would either be of like hideous muscle men or Judith Light from Who's the Boss, which was an American show in the 80s that featured a woman with giant hair, and Captar is like that giant hair on that muscle man. <laughs> and that's the inspiration for it. And, uh, and I love how he draws everything, and all I want is more Captara. So thank you, foreign royalties, for giving him a kick in the pants. <laughs> cool mix. Yeah. Any clever questions? Hello. So um, I just want to ask about... Uh, when you made Jughead asexual in his comedy canon, um, did you, what what was your thoughts leading up to doing that? And then did you have any trouble trying to actually put that in the comic? Um, it is one of those things where, like, uh, before I sat down to start writing it, um, I started kind of rereading a lot of old Jughead comics and, and thinking about the character. And he's been portrayed different ways over the years. If a character has existed as long as Jughead, there's so many ways to view him. You know, he's dated girls in the books. He's been an actual misogynist woman hater in the books. Um, in some cases, he's like been seen as developmentally behind the other kids. But for the most part, he's just like he just doesn't get it. Like he's just like you guys are ruled by your hormones and you're constantly trying to sleep with each other, um, and you're fools. Like he he watches it all from the outside, and the character is kind of based on the guy on the outside, who's a little bit cooler than everyone, kind of watching this uh, unfold, <clears throat> and so. During that time, we'd already had like Sex Criminals, uh, a couple volumes out, and Matt and I noticed when we were at shows, um, almost every show people would come up to us and say, um, um, "I really enjoy Sex Criminals, even though I'm asexual." I'm like, "Well, you don't have to add the even though I'm," um, and that that was nice. That was nice to hear, and I never gave a lot of consideration to asexuality before that. But I think both Matt and I. We were doing it at the same time without telling each other, because Matt was writing a script for an issue featuring an asexual character, and I didn't know it, and I was writing Jughead as asexual, and Matt didn't know it, because um, we were both influenced by the people we were meeting at conventions. And so it made sense to me, and uh, the big thing I wanted, and I thought it would be a really hard battle with Archie, not to make him asexual, but to not make it a PR stunt. Because yeah. Archie was kind of known for, like, you know, Archie's dying, get this on CNN, or, you know, Kevin Keller's gay, get this on Fox News. Like, it was like, um, they, they knew how to turn things into PR events, and I felt that would be a disservice to asexual readers. So my conversation with them was like, I know this goes against what you, what you normally do, but I'm going to mention he's asexual in the book, and I don't want any promotion from you about it. I want it to be uh, a natural part of the story because it's a natural part of life, and I think that's the way it should be treated. And they were fine with it. And I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is... <laughs> I got away with that. Um, and so strangely, like, the issue came out and like it took about two or three weeks for like uh, people in the asexual community to even notice it. There were a few people that did, but then it became a thing. And like, um, and I was really glad it was just kind of like a nice under-the-radar regular part of the comic. Um, and I kind of like... 
you know, during during the process of working on the book, you kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit, kind of when Riverdale was announced. Mm. Uh, when Riverdale was announced, I'm like, oh, Riverdale, okay, that I can see that kind of a dark uh, Archie show. And then it was like presented by the CW. I'm like, oh, those teens fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Every teen on that show is going to have sex, including Jughead. Like, I didn't get a call saying you know that was going to be the case, but like. You know, just just seeing that announcement, like, okay, this is going to be... Uh, I knew I wasn't going to be on the book for super long. Like, I had my story to tell, and I was going to get off, and Ryan was going to take over after me, and he was going to handle it the best he could. And uh, my, my, my feeling is, I haven't looked at the comics recently, but um, if they're not trying to emulate Riverdale, um, they're financially, they're fools. Like, <laughs> you know, you want to go where the money is when your company is small as Archie, so... Um, I was a little upset at the the fact that he wasn't asexual in the show, but I got it. And um, like I said, I haven't actually looked at the comics since uh, Ryan left, but uh, I'm assuming that's going to be the case in the comics as well. So, yeah. So it was like a great beginning of that story, and then I'm just like, ah, oh, well, you know, hopefully they kind of continue that um, in the comics because I think it's uh, I think it's the right thing to do. Like, there's if you try to list. Um, canonically asexual characters in pop culture there's very very few of them I, I can't even I can't really even name them like except for like the ones Matt and I have done which is which is crazy um, because especially since the Jughead thing came out we get so many more people come up to the table and usually dress as Jughead to to and it's weird when they thank you for it because it's not a thing that you should be thanked for I'm just like I appreciate it but I'm also like yeah. We're just we're just we're telling a story, and you're a part of the story, and that's that's all there is to it. Um, and sometimes there'll be cases where people will be like, "I just didn't have a word for it until I read this," and like that's affecting. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah, Matt and I will be at the table, and we'll both like, this will happen. We'll look at each other like, "Holy shit!" Like, <laughs> it's weird when comics kind of uh, uh, affect people in that way that you don't intend for. Like, you, you intend to tell a story and you intend to, like, be uh, empathetic. Like, Matt's, all, Matt's thing is always, like, Sex Criminals works because um, Matt makes sure that he understands the characters and that there's empathy for the characters. And if there's empathy for the characters, there's empathy for the readers. And uh, it shows, you know, you'll get on Wiktiv too. You'll get it back to you. Mm. And uh, it can be overwhelming. And, uh, and also undeserved because you're just telling the story. Like, I, I the, people, the people that actually like live the lives are the ones that are like no you're, you're the one doing the, the good thing the decent thing by like being who you are mm-hmm. you know I'm just I'm just someone just profiting off of it <laughs> <laughs> I know it's always you, do, you end up like I mean look it's, it's about dreaming as in that yeah. kind of Dave response yeah. it's, ne- it's never about you no. and that, that's like, they're only talking to you because you're the only person they can talk to yeah yeah, you know? yeah. so I end up like you know you said that Chip Zdarsky thing earlier I said oh well done that book yeah, that yeah, book yeah. is only tangentially responding to like where we are yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's exactly you right. know you get enough yeah I mean with an asexual character in Wiktiv and you know yeah. uh, there's enough people who've said they've come out because of Young Avengers yeah. and that never gets normal you no, know, and it shouldn't no, because it's important no. and precious and you know tear worthy. <coughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank God this wasn't video. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see no one will ever know. Public. No one will ever know. <laughs> and now uh, you have another thing to edit out. Oh my God, it's kind of annoying. Uh, we've actually hit nine, so we should probably actually. Any one last question or yeah, one, last, one, one last one? Are you want to ask? Sorry, your, your eyebrows are raising in a way that you have something to say. Oh, oh. 
Um, the jokes in the background of sex criminals like yeah. my favourite thing ever. Do you have a favourite one and how do you come up with them? Um, a lot of it's just kind of stream of consciousness because the first major scene with that was when they entered the, uh, the sex store. And I counted it later. The, the, the opening panel, there are 72 jokes in that panel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, just, it's like automatic writing after a while. Sometimes you'll just have like, you know, um, you know, Rotten Tomatoes open with like names of movies. And you're like, how can that be a porn thing? And, you know, um, uh, yeah. And then and those are, again, those are mostly for Matt, like just to make him laugh. He'll sometimes give me like two or three to start me off. And then I just kind of keep going with it. Uh, my favorite is probably in in the video store. There was like soft core, hardcore, and Obama core. <laughs> <laughs> and Obama core was all like medical themes, pornography. That's that's the one that I. Uh, there's one that I. Um, there's one that's so gross that I I came up with it like only recently, and I love it so much, but it's so disgusting that I don't know if I can put it in, but I'm gonna tell you right now. Um, a, a movie porn parody title of, of uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Guess Who's Coming Your Dinner? <laughs> it's just, just, like it's gonna be this whole BDSM thing, just like, guess who's coming your dinner? Like, it's horrible. It's like, in my gut, I know it's wrong, but it makes me laugh every time. Oh, I'm gonna sneak that in the background at some point, but in case I don't, it's for the room now. <laughs> when you um, actually, you know, when you did the Wick, people always ask us, "Did you know about the Wick did porn parody?" <laughs> and we did, it, and they never told us. No. You know, it's like, hey, no. we would, we might sue you. Ever. No, no, did no. Do you no, ever no. think we, for a second we might be pissed off? No. Okay. No, never. Well, uh, I mean, were. like, <laughs> <laughs> this is the legal summons to appear. <laughs> um, that was so funny. No, we thought, yeah, I mean, like. Uh, well, part of the beauty of doing creator own is just like you can kind of play with each other, and we do it in, like in the the letters column sometimes, and uh, and uh, it was just and we couldn't pass it up, and like we had to keep it secret or else like what's the point? Um, and we did the same thing issue seventeen with our uh, criminal parody. Um, the only the only heads up they had was I asked Sean if he had a cover I could borrow. And he gave me a cover so I could just slap it in there and put my own drawing on it and go and go sex criminal. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like Matt wrote that like total method too because I guess Ed writes using a specific font, but also on like a lime green background because it's better for his eyes. Like it's weird. Like I got the script for that issue and it's like green. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. He's never written the Hulk. How yeah, yeah, he just can't. Um, yeah, yeah, and we didn't let them know either. That's like, funny. That's, that's my my favorite part of. This whole journey is not letting people know when we fuck with them. <laughs> when we did the Wick Div Return one, yeah. we, we, we were going to put the beginning issue. We ended up writing, you know, to Chip yeah. and, you know, Matt or inspirations. Yeah. We originally were going to write Matt, to Matt and Chip, your move. And we thought, <laughs> <laughs> they thought no, 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 no. Let's not say that. Let, yeah. let's, let's tie a bow on this one and end it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, last question, I guess. What's your worst trait as a creative? Ooh, boy. Yee. Wow, good one to end on. Um, I feel like you know it's the the job interview question of sometimes I care too much. <laughs> sometimes I work too hard and overtime. Um, I work straight as a creative. Jeez, um, that's actually really tricky. 
But not, not because I have no flaws, it's just narrowing down the flaws. No, no, it's, it, I, was, well, I asked, quite like asking this one, because everyone has almost too many answers. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a hard one. I feel like there's probably different ones for, for drawing and, and writing. Drawing, I'm just, I'm not good at it. Like, I don't, uh, <laughs> um, I find it very, I find it arduous to draw. Um, and I'm never happy with the work, which is kind of an artist thing as well. And, uh, and yeah, and, 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 and it's, you just hit a wall as an artist and you worry that um, you're not going to get better. Because you see another artist. You see artists like, do, 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 oh, this is as good as they get. And then they travel that way for a while and then they just kind of deteriorate as they hit their mm. twilight years. I'm like, well, maybe that's it. Like, maybe, maybe issue three of Sex Criminals was my peak. And, like, um, and I hate that feeling. And I hate that I hate, that I hate it as well like that I beat myself up over it um, as a writer uh, my worst trait yeah I don't know that's tricky because I, I don't think I've written enough to to fully understand your terribleness <laughs> yeah yeah like I get that I'm not good at it <laughs> Be because I'm still I'm still starting out it feels like I'm still starting out like every issue I'm just like like, oh, is this kind of on autopilot? Like, do, can I make this better? I don't know. Like, and you kind of, like, with newspapers, you have to give up on it after a while. Um, and the speed of the Marvel stuff makes me feel like I'm not going to get better because you're constantly just trying to produce mm -hmm. that you're not stopping to actually, like, grow. Ryan Stegman has this, the, the Marvel artist. He's like, all he wants, he says, is nine months off to become better mm -hmm. because you, you will get better at, at certain things doing monthly comics, um, kind of shortcuts are, are most of it, like figuring out how to draw with less lines or how to how to how to nail a scene quicker. Um, but to actually grow as an artist, like you need to stop, think, work on it. Um, the ultimate career that I'd want that I look at is Brian Lee O'Malley, because uh, Scott Pilgrim, brilliant, hugely successful, afforded him the ability to go. All right, I'm gonna do a book every few years now. And if you're on his Instagram, you can see that the characters from his upcoming book, he's been drawing them for a couple of years in sketchbooks to figure them out. Like the idea of figuring out stuff beyond like a quick doodle before you get drawing, um, like that would just be a dream. It's funny, Jamie doesn't work like that. Jamie puts all his designs straight on the page. It's so yeah. weird. It's the weirdest thing about him. And, and I, 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 tend, I tend to do that as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, Jamie, obviously, when he's designing something for Marvel... But no, he just like, but he doesn't do any design. He just puts that on the page as well. So he just does a, a sketch design for them. Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. like he doesn't do like preliminaries. He just does it. And it's just perfect. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> that, that's what I mean. It's a weird thing. It's in people that it's, it's uncanny. It really yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I tend to just do one shot when it comes to um, Marvel stuff. Like, weirdly, I can't get kind of get out of it. Like, I design all the logos for the Marvel books that I'm on, um, or even like there was a. I was bringing back Vulture and I wanted to redesign it, so I just did that. Like I just, yeah. but I kept it rough enough that the artists could kind of do what they want because they don't want to step on uh, their toes. But because it was a different artist for the first appearance of Vulture, it wasn't Adam. It was a free comic book day thing. Like I felt like I could kind of get away with it. I probably wouldn't do that for Adam. Um, but yeah, like it's a, the time. Like I don't think I'm, I'm. I think I'm bad at art because I'm just bad at art. Um, and I think I'm bad at writing because I don't have the, the proper time to stop and like flesh a thing out. I've got like a book coming up um, with a company um, where it's my own thing. And uh, part of that is me going, all right, 
what 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 can I do if I have some lead time on a thing and I can actually sit and like do the map on the wall and kind of figure out um, figure out the beats more properly and develop the characters before I get into scripting the book. Mm. Um, and my biggest fear is it's going to be shit. Like I'm going to do it. I'm like, all right, finally, I can I can do this piece where I'm giving my all as a writer. Nobody wants it. <laughs> Back to Howard the Duck with you. Yeah. <laughs> panic has a certain appeal too. It's like a yeah. mixture of planning and panic. Is, yeah, was always my way. Yeah, it kind of has to be in comics. Yeah. Anyway, with a mission of terribleness over, that's probably best place to end it. So thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks to Josh for having us, and thanks to Kieran for moderating. That was awesome. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.